Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Time once again for Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO, a little something that we do on a Friday where we take a look on the radio at some films. Along those lines, it's my pleasure to introduce the film guys, J. Todd Anderson. Welcome. Hello, Nikki. Not just are you J. Todd Anderson, a film knowledgeable person, but also the storyboard artist for the Coen Brothers for 20 plus years and giving up your time right here on WYSO. And I'm telling you, this music gives me even more confidence than I've ever had. My chest is swollen. Also, George Willeman, film archivist, the Nitrate Branch, the Library of Congress. George, welcome. Hello. <laughs> His chest is swelling too. Yes, but I've got Pretty something. Soon I've there's got no more room in here. <laughs> I've got something to rub on it, though. <laughs> oh no! Well, we're here to talk you about out of the studio. <laughs> Uh, Filmically Perfect brings us uh, every week, we take a moment to reflect on one of the finest uh, images, sets of images that move, that are set on film for our enjoyment. And this time around, uh, you gentlemen have picked up uh, perhaps an unlikely candidate, but a good one indeed. Very unlikely. Um, And we're challenging all you people out there to dig deep on this one because this is a silent movie made in 1927. This was a very big feature. Very big. Yeah, and it was it was literally the last hurrah of the silent film. And the title of this film is Sunrise. Sunrise from 1927. If you gentlemen would. W. Marno. Yeah. And a, 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 a fellow that they actually kind of imported from Germany to make yeah. this happen. Uh, yeah, sure. You if betcha. you would be so kind as to. Uh, oh, we're going to do the rules? Let us, let's, let's give us a little cue into uh, how it is Nikki, exactly that, that cue, the rules are formed. And our rules are, these films create the world they exist in. And they wholly maintain that world. And sustain it. And sustain it. (laughs) And regardless of changes in society, they retain their meaning and entertainment values. It's huh. hey, that was perfect. It's a matter of, 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 of standing the test That's of time how, we, in many, we many them perfect ways. Because of those rules. Right. So, it, with that in mind, with that uh, notion uh, on the table, tell us, gentlemen, what about this film has, uh, has, gonna, has made gonna, this this George lofty? George is, is quite the authority on silent movies, and we feel that this is our time to. Uh, give you a little bit of education on silent movies. Which and, really, uh, and again, as right. you said, George, this was the last hurrah of the genre. Is it? Yeah. Uh, this, came uh, this film kind of was the, the culmination of some uh, 30 years of development of the motion picture as a silent art form. There had been experiments early on. Uh, Edison did some experiments. Actually, many people did experiments to try to uh, bring sound into films and synchronized dialogue, but it just it was too expensive the, the companies didn't want to deal with it, the, the sound wasn't good, and that kept it away from it. Well, at this point in the history of film, uh, radio had come in, and much like television in the 50s, the movies were beginning to drop off, so they had to do something, so sound was brought in, and synchronized sound. And this film, as you hear the music in the background, this is actually the music that was released in 1927 with the film when they played in theaters that were rigged for sound. Um, but 
this comes at the end of a of a um, a time of great development of the film as a visual art form. Rapid development, like fifteen to twenty years. Yeah, going so. from from little short, uh, you know, uh, thirty second films being shown in storefronts, virtual to these, flip books. Yeah, you know, to these these. What oh, did you call books. it? A foot book? Flip books. Flip, oh, flip books, right? Like, okay. Yeah. Flip the corners, virtually oh, flip books. Wow. And in fifteen years, they came to the what you see in front of you, which is a staggering amount of progress. Yeah, in photography. And and uh, and just and, in the medium itself. Well, and, and and a visual language that was truly universal. I mean, these films could literally be shown in any country of the yeah. world by just replacing the intertitles with oh, another language. In fact, Lillian Gish said that her minister warned her. Her minister was a Baptist minister, and she said that that uh, her minister told her that Satan was going to come as a light that will, <gasps> everybody will understand, and and he interpreted that as the movies because Whoa. it was a language that everybody understood so we there, take it so for granted it, what about that moment in time when it did arrive and people saw this for the first time it must have been frightening on some well, level. I mean, big the, screen too man yeah and there there are stories of uh, like when the the great train robbery was was first shown at the end of the great train robbery there's a close-up of one of the bad guys pointing his gun right at the audience firing and and people screamed and they ran and, they ran. and in france when the pathé brothers showed their uh, the film of the train arriving at the train station and it comes barreling right toward the screen and people got up and ran. Remember, they did not have anything like this image in front of them. I mean, they had nothing like this. They had books, you know, right. and illustrations, but they didn't have cave drawings that came to life, you know? <laughs> you know? So but, this in 1927, Sunrise was released at really the peak of that genre. I mean, who knew what, what would have gone on if, if uh, sound hadn't come into the movies, but as fate would have We it, would have had a much better medium. You think so? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, it would have slowed down what. to this archaic language well, of English, <laughs> and Spanish. Again, and, again like, Lillian Gish once said that it was her feeling. Springfield, we should Ohio, mention right? that yes, Lillian Gish Lynn was born, born in Springfield, and her sister Dorothy was born in Dayton. Is she buried in Springfield? No. Okay. Um, folks, but she, <laughs> don't go to the cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> she once said that that it was her contention that the silent film should have come out of the talking picture rather than the other way around. How interesting! Because once talkies came in and the studios all went to talkies, the idea of this beautiful moving visual language was gone See, for quite some time. Now I watched this film, and to be quite honest, I watched it a couple times. Hold I, on, hold on. I get my metal out of the box here. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. It's um, it's hard to watch a silent film when you're quite used to having it's tough. dialogue. It is. It's very hard. You have to adapt to it. And I was speaking with George just before we went on here that um, it occurred to me only just at a couple of points that there were some you know the composition of the of the image that we were seeing that it dawned on me there were probably many symbolic things that had become a literally unspoken language in they this maximized oh, images yeah. to their just yeah absolute they they made every inch of that image work and you'll notice there's not too many subtitles in they're this not movie. it seems no, like an, a, a few in visual. the beginning and toward the end it's there's virtually none at all yeah Murnau loathed the idea of subtitles i believe he even you know he tried to keep them out because they broke up the the flow sure. of his images but in he fact, was even creative with how well he yeah used if them. you'll notice uh i don't want to get too much into the film so we have to start talking about the film we need yet. to we, yeah we have to we have we're to talking about actual, sunrise 1927 yeah but sunrise. we haven't actually given sort of the plot summary yeah well, so, anyways, well let me let me finish real right. quick, but we're talking about silent films. I mean, yeah. by the time Sunrise was made, 
some of the silent films from the late 20s are absolutely astonishing like the the first version of Ben-Hur oh, and film. and some of DeMille's absolutely some of amazing. DeMille's silent his silent version of the 10 commandments and they were doing films they had added color there were uh, Douglas Fairbanks made the black pirate uh, completely in technicolor in 1926 um so, oh, so, so yeah. even two color strip. came before sound. Right. So they had reached this wow. pinnacle, and in September of 27, Fox released Sunrise to great acclaim, but not a whole lot of money. That was mm. a problem. Didn't make and, money, but it cost a lot. But the very next month, in October of 1927, Warner Brothers released The Jazz Singer, which, although it's 99% a silent film, had synchronized dialogue and singing in it. And so here, that, 30 days later... And that was the end of the silent film area for, for all intents and purposes. I mean, silent films continue to come out after that. Most of them were not very successful. And most of them are lost to us now yes. because they weren't successful. The studios And a lot of people what a don't shame. understand what how, a how important they are to our history. And, and here's what I... When we were growing up, George and I are in our 40s, and uh, when we were growing up... Tattletale. They made... He just had a birthday. That's right. <laughs> but we're not going to go into that. <laughs> uh, and when we were growing up, our parents' generation, made fun of uh, silent movies. They had people moving very yeah. fast. Sid Caesar would yeah. do it well, on it his show. It was a weird motion, they goofy wasn't it? music. Right. They made yeah. fun of them. But see, now they don't even make fun of because that's another generation that's just kind of misplaced this Right, that it's form. almost lost. And now yeah. when you watch them on Turner Classic Movies on Sunday night, I think, you'll notice that that movement is very smooth and that music is, is absolutely perfect. And those people look like they lived yesterday. You know, Isn't because they've restored these movies. Now, what was it, by the way, if you, if it's easy to explain, what what did cause that jerkiness? It was it, well, it, mainly because um, for most of the silent era, there was no real set uh, camera speed, uh, frames per second. Uh, most of them set oh. set anywhere between sixteen to eighteen frames per second. When sound came in. The, the uh, laboratories that developed the sound found that 24 frames per second was the slowest you could go and keep the sound nice and clean. It's cost efficient. Right. So, <laughs> um, so when they would run the old silent films on sound equipment, they would be sped up almost, well, not by a quarter, by almost by half. So, and if you get some of the really early sound films that are shot at like, you know, 14 frames per second, then everybody's racing around. Right. And they think so, right. Keystone cops kind of thing. I you see. Know? So right. it was a matter of timing as opposed to playback machine? Is that how that worked? Or just it was Correct. just general Yeah, the, well, no, no, they shot... I mean, the films were shot slower and then played on a machine that was playing them back faster. Okay. See, and so when see. the cameraman... Okay. When the cameraman was... Like, nowadays, cars are never fast enough on the screen, so you're always speeding them up because cars are just... You watch them, right. cars are always speed up. Yeah. But the good cameraman back in the old days could crank that camera and undercrank it just enough to get the, the speed on that car where it has to go around to get absolutely the right dramatic point yeah. because his and, hand was yeah. on that aperture moving and, the camera. And, and ironically, I think to this day, the uh, the idea of, of speeding up the or, you know of speeding up the motion on a film is referred to in the industry as undercranking, right? Yes. Oh, Which how is, fun. So I, I love throw that. back when, to the old hand-cranked cameras. When terms yes. still, like we call things carts yeah, the and radio, we haven't had a cartridge forever. The faster you crank the camera, forever. the slower things went, you right, know, and, and the... Correct, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're listening uh, to Filmically Perfect yes. on 91.3 <laughs> WYS. So it's the movie guys and me, Nikki Dakota. And this week we're talking about a movie released in 1927, the very last of the silent films. It's called Sunrise. Hey, if- George, hmm. tell us about the film. Hey. Oh, thank you. Um, well, uh, Sunrise, Sunrise is a really interesting film because uh, William Fox, who owned Fox Film Studios, brought F.W. Murnau over. 
uh, because of these great successes he'd been having in Germany, uh, Nosferatu being one of them. Oh, he did Dracula Nosferatu, which I've never Ooh, seen. That's not on the list, is amazing it? Amazing movie. It is, on the, is it? It's on the list. Oh, and, I can't wait uh, to see that spooky one. Spooky picture. And I believe the film he'd done just before this one, I think, was Faust, which is a truly, another truly amazing film. Very, very German. It's not about beer. And uh, so... <laughs> Fox brought Murnau over and gave him the, basically the keys to the studio to make this film in any way he wanted, which, which is one of the things that makes it so amazing, because he immediately set to work on this very simple story of a farmer and his wife that live in a small country village, and during one summer, uh, this woman from the city, who's a flapper... Which is oh, all she she's is, ever known yeah. as, just the woman she's from the city. She's just the woman from the city. She smokes cigarettes. Oh. She has a black uh, negligee. Wears, oh, yes, not she wears rolled stockings, you know. Oh, she has her knee up, too, very sexy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She makes the people she's living with, she makes the woman shine her shoes and that kind of thing. Oh, that's good. Anyway, she's that. having a, a hot affair with the young farmer, and... And you learn uh, in a flashback that he has sold off everything on his farm for this woman, and he's abandoned his wife and child. And and even the beginning of the movie, he heads off into the marshes to for a, a lover's tryst with her. Uh-huh. You know, now that's real romance. You're going to take her to the boggy the, marsh. The, the yeah. bog. And she encourages him. <laughs> Go to the city. Yeah, she Come encourages him to the city. Yeah. Come to the city, and there's this incredible montage. Uh, montage. It looks like the high state marching band going yeah. amok, and with this it wild. This wild um, expressionistic city, which I don't know if you noticed that this enormous, like, light up sort of phallic column yeah. that kind of lights yeah. up and jumps up and down. Just bizarre. Really it's like that baton guy like, that's marching out there in front of the March High State script Ohio, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no Brutus Buckeye, but it's getting close right. there. It's but anyway, he, he agrees to this, but then he, he asks her, What about my wife? And, and sort of in a, with a nasty laugh, she says, well, she could get drowned. Maybe she could get, and here's the interesting use of subtitles. Well, maybe she could get, and then there's pause, and then either they go back to right. the, no, the, the actors word or... drowned fades, fades in, in, and then it begins to sink down the, the, the into the marsh. Yeah. Did anybody else do that? Again, I sure you know, never saw no, it. In this movie, yeah. they don't waste an, an inch of emotional uh, eye movement or contact. You make sure you understand immediately that he's going to murder her. Right. right. Through, and it's, there's no close-ups. Very seldom is there. Oh, that's, uh, yeah, no, only when not. necessary. Yep. So, anyways, he he agrees yeah. to this, and they come up with this plan where they put together a a bundle of rushes that he's going to hide under the seat of their canoe, and he'll he'll toss her out of the canoe, and then uh, ditch the canoe and swim back on these rushes and tell everyone that the boat capsized and she drowned. Yeah. And and some very uh, modern kind of cinematic principles here. They show him drowning her over and over and over again because he's thinking it. Right. Which is something that we use all the time today in commercials. Sure. And like yeah. That. Yeah. yeah. So that, yeah. And one thing I'd like to mention, the actor who plays the, the young man is George O'Brien, who, to most uh, film fans, was better known for his B-Westerns that he did in the 30s. And he was a, very much a B-actor. The, the, the lead? The, the, the yes. farmer? Yes. He's handsome. Yeah. And man. He's, he's very, he's like, remember, like, you're looking at a guy. This film was made almost 100 years. I know. You know? I was and thinking you're looking about at him, that. And when they're, they're so nicely restored, thanks to the Library of Congress. Actually, we didn't work on this one. <laughs> but some of our, some of our good colleagues did. You can did. see them, the how BFI they live, how these actors are breathing like yeah. almost 100 yeah. years later. Really, but, very good. But George O'Brien, I mean, he'd been in some other big films. He's in John Ford's Iron Iron Horse, and he's in some other other good things. Once the sound came in, he kind of went into bees. And in this one, Murnau just pulled this incredible performance out of him because at the beginning, he is so deep in guilt and remorse and lust <laughs> that it just it literally <laughs> drags him down. There, there's a couple times where he, he looks like a monster. I mean, he's... His face is, is drawn. He needs a shave. His eyes are heavy. And then in the second part of the movie, where he's sort of all this is lifted from him, he becomes this totally different character. Mm-hmm. It's really astonishing. 
But anyways, yeah. if we go on, um, the husband comes home, tells the wife they're going to go to the city the next day. So, but as they're heading out, just before, as they're leaving the dock, their dog breaks loose. Right, because the, she, the dog's anxious about them leaving mm-hmm. and uh, nearly foils the plot, really. That's right. And it, it just, you know, it's just one thing to kind of stretch out the inevitable, what's going to happen. The, the tension begins to build. And as they head out in the middle of the lake, he stops and he puts his oars aside and he gets up and he, he sort of lurches toward her. I mean, looking like almost like Frankenstein's monster from the back. And at this point, she realizes that she's in big trouble. And for yeah. you film buffs out there, a place in the sun, if you watch where uh, Montgomery Cliff is going to murder Shelley Winters, it's very similar. Oh, how fun. Which was made about 30 years later. Mm-hmm. But uh, he finally cannot do it. He absolutely cannot do it. He, he leaps back, grabs the oars, uh, races to the other side of the lake, and, and immediately tries to tries to beg forgiveness. But of course, uh, not surprisingly, uh, the wife is pretty spooked, and she takes She's terrorized. off. Running. Yeah. Um, and, they, and they end up on a streetcar. Yeah, they end up on a street. Takes them to the city. Takes them to the city. Yeah. And the city is one of the most amazing things in it because uh, as we talk about our perfect films rules and, and that the films create the world they exist in, in this film, everything you see is created, no matter everything how real it looks. Everything is under a sound it's a, it's a stage built. roof yes. in 1927. And not oh. only the, ci- the city, which, which we'll get to created. in a second, but the, the small village they live in, the streetcar line they built was like two miles long. The streetcar was specially constructed. It was not a normal streetcar. They, they built it especially for the film. And the city, which was designed with a forced perspective to look even bigger, uh, the buildings way in the background kind of looks like the small. green, you know, the new place they call it. it does. Green. It's it does. very forced. You know, um, it's, and it's and the people you see, all the people you see walking in the far background, most of them are, are midgets and children, to force the idea see, of how big. It's just like the green. Yes. It's just like it. Oh, <laughs> oh you're gonna. Oh, we're gonna hear about that. Um, <laughs> So anyway, they get into the big city, and the city is overwhelming to them, and it's deliberately designed to to give the impression of, you know, two people from the country who have never been to the city and what the city looks like to them. It's huge. There's thousands of people. There's cars and everything. And so now the husband has the job of trying to... To re-woo. To the, the wife. Uh-huh. And and after several tense moments, he finally does. They sort of sneak into the back of a church where a wedding is going There happens on. to be a wedding going on. There's nobody on. there at the wedding. There's I know. Nobody. It's a small Just, private affair in this yeah. huge cathedral. Yeah. yeah. And, and formal Dressed. But they sit in. They sit in, and the husband is totally overwhelmed he by this. Has an epiphany. Has his epiphany, and 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 everything's okie dokie. Yeah. So if you're gonna like kill your spouse or something, <laughs> you get you caught. Know, you take take it right her to up a wedding. Point. Yeah, and 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 your marriage will be much better after this, you know, because you've went through this conditioning of knowing how much you appreciate each other. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but they they then are now able to have some fun. So they they go. He he gets all cleaned up at the barber shop. A very look, funny, yeah. charming little scene. And then they have this great little uh, escapade with a uh, with a photographer and and then they go to the yeah they go to the fair and they have all sorts of fun at the fair and then they head home. No, no, you forgot oh, about oh, the pig, man. Oh, please. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. Hit the yeah. hole. Hit the hole and then drop. It's like it's a kind of like a dunking machine. A carnival for pig yeah. farmers, you know. I thought it was a little bit cruel. You're dunking a pig, but anyway. Well, they didn't have SPC. Well, they didn't really dunk yeah, the pig. Right, they, right. They, and then he catches the pig because he understands wild farm animals run amok in a in a city. Right. It's contrived in Hollywood, of course. That's right. And he knows how to catch this pig, and he holds it up, and everybody cheers. Everybody cheers. He becomes the hero in the town. So you go from having an affair in the country with the girl from the city. 
to accidentally landing in the city, being redeemed, yeah, and, when he holds and that then pig saving up, the fair. She has that glow on her face, like he's my farmer. Yeah, yeah that's my well, and that's farmer. interesting because then, then the the band in the big big pavilion hall where they've they've gotten the pig out, and the band then puts on a peasant dance. Yeah, and it's because funny. everybody knows that they're farmers. I mean, they're from the country because, of course, they're not dressed like everybody else. They're dressed like farmers. And and they make them dance. They well, they make them. They do. They dance a peasant dance. They yeah. kill that audience. It was too, cute. You know? they, it was that was good. a really yeah. cool dance. That was really. Really weird. was, yeah. So, anyways, after all this fun and frivolity, they head back home across the same lake. And guess yeah. but, who's but back everything, there? But everything is, you know, everything's wonderful now. And a big storm comes up, and it's threatening to capsize the boat. And the farmer takes the bunch of reeds under the seat that he was going to use to save himself, and wraps them around his wife. And then, of course, the boat is capsized. And he swims back. He swims back. They can't find her. Yeah. But the woman from the city is still the there, harlot. and she thinks that he's gone through with it. Which only proves, you know, goes to prove, like Hitchcock said, a picture is only as good as its villain. They don't leave that villain out. You know, right. like snakes on a plane. That villain did not get what he was supposed to get. We'll have to talk but about that Back then, they understand time. that classic. <laughs> yeah, okay. All piece right. of work. She is back. So she's back, and then he actually, because she doesn't understand that he didn't do it, that it really right. was an accident this time, and then he's actually heartbroken about this. He uh, strangles her for, I did count, the second time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. right at the point he's about ready to, to snap her little neck. Yeah. Yeah. Um, his thumbs are pretty deep in her the, throat. Yeah. The, there comes a call from his maid or mother. I'm not sure exactly what yeah, she is. Yeah, I couldn't tell. Uh, in, the, in the credits, she's listed as a maid. But okay. she looks she, the way she acts. She's more like a, a very, very motherly major, character, yeah. um, and to tell him that they've found her and she's okay. And sure enough, the rushes did save her. She's floated off into a cove, and this old fisherman had found her. Yeah, and so, he throws that harlot aside and lives happily ever after. Yep. And the woman goes back. It's a back, morality play. The woman goes back to the city. Simple story. Sadder but wiser. Good story, simple story. What did you say, Joe? Sadder but wiser. Sadder but wiser. I thought you said Budweiser. Yeah, so (laughs) what we have here is a a true, it's almost like a fable in a way, you know, the the temptation, the... This is one of the more literal... Uh, usages of our rules. They create the world they exist Literally, in. Literally, right. He, yeah, the main he made everything right. in this movie. There's no location where it was, everything was hammer and nail, man. Under right. and a well, soundstage even, in 1927. Well, yeah. even right down to the acting, the, the acting of the two leads is very controlled. I mean, the acting, you know, she pretty much maintains the same all the way through, but, yeah. but George O'Brien, of course, he's the one that just amazes me to watch his changes. At the end of the movie, you know, after... He gets back and, and she's dead, quotation marks. Right. And the woman in the city goes to the door and that door opens and there he stands again in his Frankenstein Hulk and suddenly yeah. she knows she's in trouble. You know? <laughs> and he and looks menacing, boy. They yeah. used to light the heck out of those guys to make him look like that back then. You're listening to Filming the Perfect on 91.3 WYSO and we're talking about the film Sunrise, the very last of the silent films. Mm-hmm. Talking with J. Todd Anderson and George Willeman and of course I'm Nikki Dakota. We do this every Friday a little opportunity to explore another media on the radio. It's pretty cool. Filmically Perfect, I think it succeeds. George, I, I I, I think this you. movie will uh, will be the uh, big identifier of silent movies in the future. We think it is. It is one of the yeah, because it is. It is one of the most perfect examples, not just of a film, but of a silent film. Yes. How all the elements the that form, had been, had developed just, over all those years had comes together, and it can tell its story without having to resort to dialogue, taking yeah. visual imagery to its absolute boundaries before sound came in. Right. Uh, we were talking about this director. Uh, he and it would be, have been interesting to see what he would may have gone on and done but tragically right. well he he was known at the time that he was very much against the idea of talking pictures in fact he went on after sunrise to do two more films for fox and then did a film uh taboo in 1931 and they're all silent and as far as i know he never 
you know, who knows if he would have ever done a silent film because he was killed in a car accident in 1931. How sad. I'll tell you what. Um, uh, also of note is the soundtrack. This, uh, the soundtrack did originally go out with the movie. Is that correct? Correct. Well, well, with two theaters that could show it with sound, yes. This, this uh, music that you're listening to. Another, the music another that we heard that... in the background was the original. We do have also, is this a sample from the 1997? Someone actually bothered to go back. No, all this music is from the Oh, the it's from the original. Yes. Okay, very good. Very good. And when they, when they did these silent films people don't realize but they would set the tone by having an orchestra on the set is that right they would play music yes um and george clooney i know this because i was there uh in confessions of a dangerous mind did this a lot um he didn't have an orchestra there but he did play music to get you know uh, there's a scene to set a mood for the actors Julia roberts and, and sam uh are running up amok you know and he used <laughs> the music which i noticed immediately the difference watching the dailies how it changed everything yeah but this is how the silent guys did it they had an orchestra on the set to to keep those actors, you know, have... I was also imagining, because there's no sound, that at a couple points I was watching them act and play off one another, and I thought the actor, or the, the director could well be speaking to them right yes, that now, was, that giving was very them direction also. as yeah. it's silent happening. Silent movie, folks, there is no sound. Yeah. And that's what made it hard yeah. for a lot of silent directors to change over, because suddenly they found themselves bound and gagged as well, not able to, to move And there was no sound the guy getting in the way back yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> the crutch Much of dialogue. I have a lot of friends that are sound guys. That's, that's just a joke, folks. They're my friends. So. We've been talking about Sunrise uh, from 1927's uh, film that uh, has been de- designated by our film guys as filmically perfect. We do this every Friday. Thanks for being along for the ride. We have a, a special signed copy of one of the Coen brothers. Uh, from Fargo. From Fargo. From uh, one Our of the next film is going to be... Buckaroo Banzai. Another really highly underrated great film. Buckaroo yes, Banzai. Monkey Boy. Next week on Filmically Perfect. So if you can, get a chance to get out and see that or find a way to uh, see it. Have some friends over and then join us next Friday. And we'll talk about it right here on Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. Gentlemen, thank you. Always a pleasure, Nikki Dakota. Yes. Always a pleasure. Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect, coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website, www.perfectmovie.net. See you, please.